Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. Hey Amarillo is sponsored this week by the WT Enterprise Center, an essential part of Amarillo's entrepreneurial community. For more than 15 years, it has been helping local entrepreneurs build great companies. Learn more and get help taking your business to the next level at WTEnterpriseCenter.com. And an announcement. We're doing a live show. Join me at 7 p.m. on Friday, May 10th for the first ever live recording of the Hamarello podcast. Tickets for this event are $10, and you'll get to see me interview a special mystery guest. You can meet former podcast interview guests. You can ask questions of your own at this event, and you can even have the chance to be on an eighth straight panel. I'll be recording this live in front of an audience, and this will help kick off Arts Fest, a new film, literature, music, and art festival hosted by Arts in the Sunset. You can get ticket information at hayamarillo.com, or the best place, the easiest place, is on the Hey Amarillo Facebook page. So Friday, May 10th, go grab your tickets. Today's guest is Roman Liao, who founded Evocation Coffee with his wife, Amy. Evocation has been a huge part of the coffee renaissance in Amarillo, and the fact that Roman and Amy were like 17, I mean, they were teenagers when they started this business, is just one of those crazy Amarillo things. So Roman and I talk about how that happened, um, about what Evocation has become, its role in this community, and about some major changes that are about to happen in his life. So here's Roman Liao. Roman Liao, welcome to the Hamarillo Podcast. Thanks for being here today. Thank you for having me. It's a great honor. Well, I, I appreciate uh, you taking some time to, to do this. I know this is a really busy season of life for you, a lot of things in transition. Uh, but before we talk about that, I would like to kind of go back to the beginning and hear about, you know, just how you grew up and, and that sort of thing. So tell me what brought you to Amarillo in the first place. So my dad is uh, the owner and operator of Leal's Mexican food restaurants here in Amarillo. Um, and he has also has the one in Milshew, Texas. Um, and he took over that business from my grandfather um, and grandmother who started it in 1957. And so about, I guess it was like 15, 15 or more years ago, they decided that they wanted to expand from Milshew um, to Amarillo. And so we moved. I was 11 or 12 around that time. Okay. And uh, yeah, so we packed everything up from Milshew and came to the uh, Amarillo metropolis. That's, I mean, that's a really interesting time for a kid period, 11 yeah. or 12, and then moving from a smaller town to a relatively large town like Amarillo. Yeah. That's a big change. So tell me what that was like. I mean, did you have a perspective on Amarillo before you moved here? Yeah, I'd been to Amarillo um, several times. Uh, my dad and I used to come mountain biking in Palador Canyon pretty regularly. Okay. Um, so that was my biggest exposure to it. We'd also come to the uh, Nutcracker performances at the Civic Center in the holiday season. Because it's not like you were a small town like Dalhart or something. I mean, you're kind of equidistant in Muleshoe between Lubbock yeah. and Amarillo. So you Lubbock could have gone was to both places, right? I definitely. Mean, I mean, Lubbock was typically the place we'd go if we wanted right. to do shopping or go see a movie or something like that. Amarillo was further away, and so we didn't come as frequently. But yeah, somewhat familiar with it. But uh, it was it was a huge transition um, being that age. And Muleshoe is 100% different than Amarillo. I mean, it's Amarillo definitely has small town vibes, but Muleshoe is... 
a real small it's an town. Actual small town. <laughs> yeah. And so I was homeschooled as well. I've been homeschooled since third grade. And we moved um, to a house that was kind of outside of the city limits, um, in between Amarillo and Canyonish, out uh, kind of on the rim of the canyon. It was beautiful. Yeah, most of my kind of formative childhood years, like before I could drive, before I was a teenager, were just wandering around Powdery Canyon. Did did you feel like a lot of people like me? I grew up here. I, I've always just felt connected to Amarillo. I know the neighborhoods, the streets. You moved here from a small town, then lived kind of outside of town, and mm. then were homeschooled. I mean, was was that integration into the culture? Did it take a while, I guess, to to kind of feel like you knew Amarillo? Yeah, definitely. I think that when I started to feel like I actually knew Amarillo and like there was the city itself was my home was when I was able to drive. So I went to Ascension Academy uh, mm-hmm. for high school. And so by the time I reached sophomore year and I got my own vehicle and I was like meeting up with friends at places around town, that's when I actually like had to learn the layout of the city and like what the different neighborhoods are and like what the names of all the parks are. Cause that's where we'd all meet up. So yeah, that's when it actually started to feel like home. Did, um, you know, having gone to Ascension, I, I haven't had a guest on who went to that high school, you know, mm-hmm. a lot have gone to the public high schools and, and things like that. It occurs to me that people might not really be familiar with what Ascension is like mm-hmm. in comparison to those other schools. So tell me about that. Yeah, um, it is vastly different school, or at least it was when I was there. It's changed a lot since uh, I left. But at the time, I was actually part of the first class that was actually at the new facility, which okay. is off of Sansi. And we were a tiny class. My my class had 11 people in it, I think. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was very small. And the year above us was like eight or nine and above that was 10 or 11. So yeah, it was just a very small group altogether. Um, and it's kind of on the outskirts of town and because it's even our, uh, sports teams were so small, we didn't have a lot of interaction with other schools, even playing basketball or anything like that. So yeah, it was, that was a little bit of an isolating experience as well, but I mean, the groups were very tight knit just because it was so small. You have every single class um, with that same group of people. So you spend the whole day right. with those peers. And a lot of high achieving students there too. Yeah, right? definitely. It's kind of a college prep academy. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a faith-based college prep school. And yeah, a lot of high achieving students and people that are dedicated to making A's in every single class. So yeah, hardcore for sure. So tell me what happened after graduation. So I actually went to Amarillo High for a little while um, after uh, it was junior year that I started Amarillo High. Okay. And that was a That's a big difference shock. from Ascension too. <laughs> yes. So. Yeah. Um, moving from Ascension to Amarillo High was, was a wild experience just because, I mean, you go from having 10 classmates to mm-hmm. having hundreds of people walking the halls with you. And was that positive or negative for you in terms of the, the wildness? Was it a good kind of wild or was it like... So for me personally, it was really hard to deal with. I mean, I'd gone from being homeschooled to being in this tiny little class setting to being in this like huge, huge school that was just, it was overwhelming for me, honestly. And so after junior year, I took off and I actually, I graduated homeschooled. I just started taking classes at Emerald College okay. um, after my junior year. Yeah. It's a real non-traditional path through school. <laughs> it was I mean, pretty in weird. and out of public education, yeah. homeschool, private education. I mean, you you hit everything. Yeah. Um, started off in public there in Milshew, then homeschool. Yeah. Run the gamut. Do you look back on that and think that was really good for you? Do you look back on it and think, oh, I kind of wish it had been different? I mean, what's your perspective, you know, several years after that? Yeah, it definitely gave me insights into a lot of different high school and uh, academic experiences, which is cool. I mean, I got to meet a lot, a lot of different people from a lot of different walks of life. 
when I was at Amarillo High and at, at Ascension Academy, I was able to get really close to a lot of friends that kind of drove me to be better, pushed me to uh, excel. And I mean, homeschooling was a cool experience just because I was able to, I think that experience is what taught me to problem solve in a way that I couldn't look to other people to like help me work through these problems. Okay. Um, because most of that curriculum is just self-guided. You don't so. have lab partners or anything No, like yeah, that. exactly. So you get a textbook, you're supposed to be done with it by the end of the semester and yeah, you go to town. And so, yeah, I was learning how to teach myself just from the book. And, uh, I mean, the curriculum itself was pretty different. I was able to take logic classes, which is really cool. Mm -hmm. Um, some Latin, which I've entirely forgotten, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, I had a, it was a very diverse education experience, which I think was definitely beneficial. It gave me a lot of um, unique experiences. I mean, I definitely missed out on some social aspects of my school career for sure. I think that it would have been neat to uh, be able to meet, to spend more time in public school um, and have more exposure um, like I had at Amarillo High for long periods of time. But yeah, I wouldn't say I would change anything okay. for sure. <laughs> what, uh, so what happened after high school graduation? You started at AC and, and that path. Yes. Um, so after a few semesters at Amarillo College, I actually fell deeply in love with coffee. So I, I read Walden um, by Thoreau. Yeah. And uh, I just like, like that kind of became my Bible. And so like I became convinced that what I wanted to do was something that work that just like fulfilled me and uh, like kind of stoked my passions. And so for me, that was coffee. Um, I was working at Roasters Coffee and Tea. I dropped off probably a dozen applications at places around town. Um, Roasters was the only place that called me back. And I didn't even like coffee at the time. Really? Um, yeah. You're just looking for a place to work? Anywhere. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so Roasters called me back. And uh, after an interview, they hired me on the spot. And I choked down coffee with a smile for a few months, just pretending that I liked it. But eventually, uh, I really grew to appreciate it. And the nuance of all the parts of the process that go into like taking a plant that's on the other side of the equator mm -hmm. and like bringing that to Amarillo, Texas. It's just like this wildly complicated process that I thought was beautiful. I guess I was, I was still 17. My then girlfriend, Amy and I, now wife, we decided that we wanted to do a coffee business. So we wanted to kind of highlight the uh, lighter side of the spectrum of coffee roasting. Coffee, like wine, I'm sure you've heard this, but it has a lot of different taste elements. Right beyond kind of just like the roasty side. And so we wanted to kind of highlight those or evoke them was our thoughts. And so we got a little half pound roaster and uh, it was a Jean Cafe, electric half pound roaster and started roasting on that for friends and family. Eventually we picked up a business, a coffee business, the Ground Cafe at mm -hmm. the bottom of the Chase Tower. Um, we were just friends with those girls, Kimberly and Carly, that ran that. And so they started buying our coffee. Okay. So you were just roasting for that that coffee shop. Yeah, yeah, exactly. As what, 17, 18-year-olds? Yes, yeah, right. we were 17 still at the time. And uh, on that little half-pound machine. So like a coffee shop, just to give you a sense, like they go through at least like 30 pounds of coffee a week. That's very slow right. coffee shop. So on a half-pound roaster, that's, I mean, a half-pound takes at least 20 30 minutes sometimes. And so it's a lot of so You're just babysitting a, a roaster. Yes. Yeah. For hours on yeah. end. And uh, yeah. So Amy and I would be out. It was in my parents' garage. We'd just be sitting there like all day when we'd get one order just from like 8 a.m. to like 5 p.m. roasting and then pick up a like $70 check. Right, right. <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. And that's kind of like what spurred our love and passion for coffee and what led to evocation eventually. All right. Before we go too far down that path, I want to ask you about your family because you grew up 
in an entrepreneurial family, a restaurant owning family yeah. with your family's name on it. Tell me what that was like, just in terms of watching your parents and and what they did and the passions that they had. Yeah, that's absolutely foundational to my decision to start a business was just seeing the success that my dad had had and my mom had had and also that my grandparents had had. So I mentioned earlier, uh, my grandparents started Liel's in 1957. And at that time, Tex-Mex really wasn't even a thing. Right. Yeah. Um, and so you couldn't even get fresh tortillas in the panhandle. From what they've told me, you would get tortillas in these like cans and you would like peel back a lid and there were tortillas in there that had been made like months and months wow. ago. Yeah. So just totally different experience. And so they saw this opportunity to buy a tortilla machine and like bring Mexican food to the panhandle, which was super cool. So seeing that example uh, was, yeah, absolutely inspiring and it made it attainable. I've spoken to a lot of people who, when I say that I started a business at 17, are just like, man, how did you even like come to that decision? Like yeah, what would yeah. have uh, led you to do that? And for me, it was just like a really natural choice. Um, having grown up on these stories is kind of like my bread and butter, like my family's mythology. Um, since yeah. as long as I can remember, that's yeah, it made it a very easy choice. It's kind of built into your DNA because yeah. I mean, a lot of families would be like, well, you know, you can start a business, but go to college first, learn yeah. how to do stuff. And were your parents just like, sure, garage yeah. is open, go, yeah. go figure it out. It was actually my grandma. Yeah. When I was still working at Roasters, I had a little espresso machine that I'd bought and, uh, she came over to the house one day and I was pulling her a shot of espresso and uh, made her a little cappuccino and she loved it. And she said, you should make a business out of this and hadn't really thought of it until that point and hadn't really considered it. Uh, but when she said that, I was like, man, yeah, maybe I should. And so, yeah, I started talking to Amy about it and that's where we, that's where it kind of all started. <laughs> okay. So walk me through the growth process, you know, starting with the roaster in, yeah. in the garage. How did you build it from there? That little machine, the Gene Cafe, uh, it burnt out pretty quickly. As you can imagine, it is not built for like industrial coffee production. Yeah. And so we burnt out the heating element on that um, within a month or two of roasting on it. And so at that point, we kind of had to make the decision, like, is this something we seriously want to do? Because like growing from this point to the next, it's a, it's a jumping There's off point. There's some place. money in that one. <laughs> yeah. And so we decided that it was um, and that... Amarillo needed that. Um, there was really no other coffee like ours, like what we wanted to do at the time anywhere. Um, like roasters was roasting their own, yeah. but they probably tended more toward like a darker roasted, exactly. more smoky kind of coffee taste. Yeah. Right? And yeah, you guys which, were doing something that hadn't, maybe was ahead of the trends in Amarillo a little bit. Yes, definitely. Um, and I would even say, stroking my own ego a little bit, ahead of the trends kind of all around the Texas panhandle. Okay. Um, so there really wasn't anything like this um, in Lubbock, um, really not even in Oklahoma City. There weren't any other third wave is kind of the way that we define ourselves. Right. Um, Everybody had Starbucks, but yeah. Starbucks is still on the the darker side of things. Yeah, or yeah. At least their primary drinks were. Yeah, totally. It was a big jump, but we decided that we wanted to bring it to Amarillo. And so we bought a used Diedrich IR7 roaster from a shop in Ohio um, that was closing down. So we got it for a deal. It was in terrible shape. We got it on the back of a semi. It wasn't even strapped in, so it like fell over wow. um, in the truck. It was it was in rough condition, but we restored it, hooked it up there in the garage, just like cut a little hole in the wall and vented it out. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, we started roasting. People heard about us somehow. I honestly have no idea how the word traveled, but we picked up clients in Lubbock. 
clients uh, all around Amarillo too. We, uh, I mean, we were definitely not good marketers. We were 17, 18 year old kids who were just like obsessively focused on making good coffee. But I think the passion was kind of contagious. And so people really were digging what we did. We went to uh, HPPR's Living Room Concert Series a lot of the time and mm-hmm. we brew coffee for the guests at those. And that definitely helped spread our uh, message of coffee nerdery um, yeah. quite a bit. At what point did you open up the uh, the little, I guess a little shop, you know, over off of Western? Um, so that was, I think that was 2011. Was well, that the first public facing yeah. version of yeah, the so location? Our first, the first kind of part of our operation was uh, totally bootleggy coffee. It was okay. uh, so we actually were not within the city limits, and so we were operating off of septic sewer system because we were uh, out of my parents' house over in the canyon. And the health department is totally not cool with that, yeah. <laughs> which we found. Um, so uh, they let us know that they were not cool with it. And so that was the next big jump, which is opening that little store there in Western Business Park, which is maybe the worst location that you could possibly open. In. There's not a lot of walk-by traffic or <laughs> yeah. drive-by traffic. I mean, yeah. you couldn't see it from, yeah. from the road or anything. It's uh, south of Hillside on Western Street. So it's yeah, way out there on the outskirts of town. But somehow we even built out a little clientele out there. And that was a very bare bones shop. We were open, it was 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. And we just had an espresso machine. So didn't have any syrups out there. We didn't have cream even to go in the coffee. It was like the least customer-friendly experience you could possibly imagine, but people loved it. It was crazy. Was it, You think that was part of the appeal? I mean, yeah. you're taking options away and just saying, this is this is like your high-end coffee. For- exactly, yeah. No, it, it made it easy for us to really showcase how we were different than what else was going on in town because there's no way you could walk into that crazy little shop and be like, oh yeah, well, I'm just going to like have my venti mocha um, sugar-free. Like you knew something was different. Right. And so like made you kind of rethink what the coffee experience was. And yeah, I think that really benefited the way that people approached us because they came expecting something different. At what point did you think, okay, we need to move out of this out of the way location and, you know, sort of legitimize the business with with the big (laughs) storefront, you know, that people can find and see and, and that kind of thing. So that was three years ago about, and we kind of reached a point where, we had maxed out the exposure that the, really the capacity that we had um, at the Western Business Park location. And so once again, we were faced with another decision. Like, do we want to invest in a full storefront? Because that's a huge jump. Mostly what we've been doing it's a is a change in your business model because you've been roasting for other shops. Primarily, primarily right? yeah. Maybe 5 to 10% of our business was retail at that point. But we felt like to really get a foothold in Amarillo. I mean, at that point, most of our business came from outside of Amarillo and Canyon. Um, we were selling to Dallas, Austin, Houston, all over. But to get a real foothold in Amarillo and to kind of make the impact that had like prompted us to open the business in the first place, we decided that we wanted to open a coffee shop and something that highlighted our passion and our approach to coffee is like this elevated culinary experience and also made it accessible to people. So it's not so far out of the way and such an alienating experience yeah. that people couldn't incorporate it into like a daily routine. Did it feel like a risk to you to oh, make that yes. big shift? I mean, you're still like super young when you're doing that, right? Yeah, I was 23 or 24, I guess. Yeah, 23, I guess. Yeah, no, driving back from having signed the bank loan on that deal is still like one of the most uh, like 
scared and terrified uh, experiences I've ever had in my life. It yeah. was just, it's, that is the point. Like, I mean, up until that point we had some level of debt. It wasn't much. I mean, like used car level of debt basically, right. but opening a coffee shop is a whole different game. You have to have a staff of at least 10 people. You have to have an experience that's going to be consistent to these people, customers that are coming in day after day. And you have to execute on so many levels that we had never done before. So yeah, it was a completely different experience. I, I haven't asked this often, but I, I want to ask you this just because of your age, you know, the unique kind of business. I mean, was the, was the financing part difficult going to the bank and saying, look, here's our idea. Here's what, you know, we want to do. Was it, was it hard to kind of build that relationship? It wasn't for us in particular because we had somewhat of a track record. I wouldn't even say somewhat. We had like years established of um, P&Ls to show that we like had a proven business model. Even though that business model was shifting. Totally different. Yeah. Yeah. We had, we're going to keep those revenue sources. Like we're still going to keep doing wholesale. And we had shown that even though we were super young, we could do what it took to actually like make a business come into existence. And so I mean, we had a high interest rate for sure, and we didn't get as much money as we were seeking, but we definitely got the money that we needed to open a coffee shop. And we didn't have to struggle as much for it as a lot of other people our age that I've spoken to about the same experience have had too. So tell me about the the last three years then, once you opened up that storefront and what, you know, Amarillo sort of has had this this coffee resurgence, you yeah. know, since you started, <laughs> I mean, you played a big role in that with it's not all just Starbucks. It's not all Starbucks and roasters. I mean, there's different shops and there's a different culture that's developed here. So, yeah. so tell me about the role that, that Evocation played in that. Yeah, we were on the uh, first part of the swell that became a coffee wave in Amarillo. It was kind of crazy. So we opened in, I think it was the end of January, like right before February. And right after that, I think it was three shops opened within like three months, three or four months. It was just... Uh, huge boom of coffee. Um, so it was like some in the same shopping center, some right down the streets. Um, there were some just like within a few miles of us. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it became very competitive. What was cool is we never saw the openings of any of those cafes really impact our revenue. Um, which I mean, to me spoke to the fact that we were doing something entirely different than anyone else was. Mm -hmm. Um, and it also, because it wasn't super competitive in that sense, and because we wholesale coffee to some of the other shops around town and because we we distribute equipment too and I'm the only, uh, or at least I was, uh, the only La Marzocco technician around town, the espresso machine. Right, which is one of those high-end yeah, espresso. Yeah, exactly. And everybody around here is using them right now. Right. And so like, it allowed me and Evocation to kind of build a connection with other coffee shops around town. It made it less of a super competitive environment and more kind of a communal environment to where uh, we could commiserate over right. uh, the like doldrums of summer when you're owning a coffee shop and yeah, all you're selling is ice drinks instead of like the cappuccinos and lattes that are more fun to make. <laughs> is that, is that a unique thing about Amarillo that, you know, you obviously you have all of these coffee shops, they're all competing for the same coffee spending dollars, you know, but you don't like all hate each other. You know, there's yeah. not different teams or, <laughs> you know, bad feelings between one or the other. I mean, is, yeah. is it true that 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 coffee renaissance all kind of like lifted all ships? Yeah. I mean, uh, I can't really think of any that have closed um, in that time period. I might just be forgetting some, but I think that 
all that's happened is just more locations have opened up. I mean, mm-hmm. I know it's true of Palace. I know it's true of Cliffside, um, Urbana. Uh, they haven't opened any new, any new locations, but they've continued on as well. So right. yeah, it's it has been a rising tide. I mean, there is definitely uh, a fine line um, between like this communal collective coffee vision and also just like everybody has their own favorite to a certain extent. Right. And so, yeah, there is like a navigating that and balancing that. But I think that, I don't know if it's unique to coffee or if it's food service in general, but it does have a way of making people identify with each other's struggles. Um, and I think that's not even just like people that are in the industry, but it's just coffee itself is something that brings people together, um, which is a big part of why it attracted me to it as well. Tell me about the crowd of regulars that you see at your shop. You know, with that idea that different people, different personalities like different types of coffee, they find their place and and that becomes, you know, sort of their the third routine. place, yeah. you know? So tell me about the evocation crowd. There is no one type of customer, honestly. Okay. So we actually did a marketing survey with um, some students from WT a few years ago, trying to just like figure out what the average education customer looks like. And there's really no set pattern. We have people that are from really every age group. Um, we have Gen Y kids that are coming in to do math homework during the evenings. We have um, some of our regulars are like 70 plus. Um, hmm. So all spectrums of life. We do have students, we have professionals, um, we have people that own lawn care businesses. It's just like all over the place. Um, And you have a pretty interesting location in that you're very accessible from I-40. Do you ever have people passing through that are looking for a coffee shop close to the interstate that they can go to? Something that's been very fortunate to us is that we are top rated on Yelp for coffee in Amarillo. And so... People in Amarillo don't use that as much, um, but people from everywhere else when they're traveling use Yelp a ton. And so especially during holidays, we have people stopping off. Um, And yeah, you're right. We're right next to I-40. So it's a quick little dip off. Um, And we have tons of families like just over spring break. We had people from all over stopping through and experiencing coffee. And yeah, the thing we hear all the time is how crazy it is that you can have an experience like this in Amarillo, Texas. Yeah, I I know my brother-in-law lives in San Francisco and discovered you guys when when you're in Western Business Park. Yeah. Like he has not come to Amarillo without saying, <laughs> we've got to go to Evocation. When are we going to go there? I mean, that you're his coffee place, you know, for some snobby, <laughs> you know, West Coast culinary guy like he is, um, that that's where he wants to go. So. Yeah. Oh, it's so flattering. Well, I know. I know you were, <laughs> you're eager to, uh, to get that validation. <laughs> yeah, it is so satisfying. I love it. Um, all right. So tell me what's, what's next for you. I know this is sort of a season of transition, um, mm-hmm. for you and the shop and your family and, and that kind of thing. So tell me what's going on now. Yeah. Um, so it's been pressing on me for the past few years to um, kind of change what our path is. Um, Amy is in my path um, over the next stage of our life. Coffee has been huge for us. Um, We've loved every moment we've been in it. Um, But yeah, over the past three or four years, I've really come to realize that I get the most satisfaction um, and most personal fulfillment from helping people. Um, that sounds super corny um, hearing myself say it. No, but loud. I mean, that's part of the retail environment. I yeah. Mean, you're, you're providing a service to yeah. your customers. Even when I was uh, like speaking to my grandparents about like why I was going to open a shop, it was to serve more customers. Um, and that was a sentiment that they echoed and said like it was a core of their business too. So 
Yeah, over the years, that's definitely refined and it's kind of distilled into a passion for social justice. And so as a coffee roaster, um, traveled all over the world, um, mostly to Central and South America and been exposed to problems that aren't really something that can be solved through the coffee business side. Um, so that's environmental climate change, um, human rights issues, things like that, which I didn't really feel I had the power to make a meaningful impact on as somebody that owns a coffee shop in Amarillo, Texas. Right, sure. And so uh, decided to finish out my Bachelor of Arts at West Texas A&M University, and I'm going to be pursuing a degree in law um, starting this fall. And uh, as I understand, that degree will not be earned anywhere here in the Panhandle. Is that true? Unfortunately, WT does not have a law program. I'm make you say where you're going to go. <laughs> so yeah, uh, I was accepted into Yale three weeks ago. I was accepted into Harvard last week. Um, so one of those, I am touring both of those schools two weeks in the next few weeks. And uh, yeah, I'm going to make a decision. One of those schools. How, how are you going <laughs> to choose between those two? Oh my God. Equally yeah. prestigious if, if you want to be a lawyer. you know. Yeah. I will say that it's definitely slanted towards Yale right now. Um, it's a smaller school, so it has lower faculty to student ratio, so, or bigger faculty to student ratio, so uh, more one-on-one time with professors. It's uh, it's more eclectic for sure, um, so it's cross-disciplinarian, um, so you can take courses at other graduate schools and credit those towards your um, legal education. It's just super cool, but of course, Harvard is Harvard as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's going to be a really tough decision. Part of it's going to be just like the feel of the school as well. And you're, you're coming to it as sort of a non-traditional student. I mean, yeah. you're not, you are graduating and, and moving into law school, but it's not like you just finished up college and now you're doing the next thing. I mean, you went to some school started a business, <laughs> went to a little more school and, and now there, do you think that weird sort of journey is, was part of, you know, why you were attractive as a candidate for those schools? I would like to think so. I mean, even just speaking to the other admitted students that are in my are going to be in the class of 2022, yeah, my experience is entirely different than anyone else. Um, and so, yeah, I think that that will give me a different insight and a different set of skills that I bring to the table and hopefully make me a more impactful lawyer going forward. Do you have an idea of what you want to do? Yeah, um, human rights is definitely my passion. And so advocating for refugees um, and for minority rights all over the world, um, those are the issues that really appeal to me. Um, I'm also interested in environmental law um, and climate change law and working on those issues as well. So that'll be my area of focus. Hopefully I'll narrow it down uh, once I actually get in and get exposure to those uh, different subjects. But Yeah, that's where I'm headed right now. So let's talk about what that means for your shop. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know that's a question that everybody's going to (laughs) have. So, um, you know, are you still going to be running the business while going to law school? So uh, Amy and I will be moving. So, yeah, we won't actually have any day-to-day involvement in the company anymore. Um, So we'll have a new CEO taking over the company sometime later this year. And we're very excited about it. We haven't announced who it is, um, but it's going to be super great uh, group of people that are coming in um, and kind of filling our shoes during the interim. Um, and so, yeah, Evocation has an even more exciting future ahead of it than it's had in the past. Um, it has really cool things in its very near future. I'm super excited, but um, Amy and I will still have a vested interest in the company um, and we're excited to see its mission continue to grow and expand. 
All right. So most, um, I'm, I'm glad to hear that, by the way, uh, <laughs> and I'm excited to, to see what happens. Um, most of the people I talk to on this podcast are people who grew up here and stayed here, or they moved away and came back here. You know, they're current residents. Well, you're a resident who has a story here, and you're about to leave that behind, mm-hmm. uh, which is a little different. So tell me what your connection will be with Amarillo moving forward. Do you ever see yourself coming back, or will that be like, this is where our story started, and now we're taking what we learned in Amarillo and the Panhandle <laughs> kind of out, out into the world? It's hard to say at the moment. Um, most of the career opportunities that um, are on the other side of my JD are outside of Amarillo, um, especially for the areas of practice that I'm interested in. That said, Amarillo will always be home, um, even more so than Milshoe for me, just because we have such tight friend groups here and both of our families live here. This place has been enormously impactful um, at really, I mean, some of the most fundamental times uh, in our lives. And so, yeah, we'll never really be gone from Amarillo. We'll always be back here for holidays at the very least. I'm hoping to find some kind of level of work um, during my 1L summer, my first uh, summer after my first year of law school. Um, So being able to advocate for refugees that are living here in Amarillo Mm -hmm. or something like that. So yeah, I always want to be involved in the community in some way. So hopefully I will be able to. Okay. And and I'm glad to hear that too. I I, want to close this part by asking you as someone who, you know, comes from a family that runs a restaurant here, who started a, a small business here and saw that thrive. I mean, tell me about the business climate in this place that kind of has a small town feel, has enough people that's not really a small town. What's it like to open and run a small business here? I mean, I'm sure my experience isn't entirely representative. I own kind of a niche business, but Amarillo is, the people of Amarillo are super supportive of new and inspiring concepts. Um, I mean, that is with the caveat that you have to respect Texas hospitality. Um, Yeah. That's core and integral to every business. Um, no matter what it is, you have to be able to make people feel at home. And so we have experienced just a ton of support from people that, I mean, you would not traditionally think of as people that are on like the cutting edge of culinary coffee. Um, people, like I said, they're like 70 plus years old, but have made us like their place to be every single morning. And so I think what's unique about Amarillo is that, as long as you can provide those down home comforts, just like saying hello as soon as somebody walk, walks in the door and making them feel welcome, they're willing to go with you on a journey and to experience new things. So yeah, it's it's been a really cool place to open a business. Also just kind of on the uh, operation side, there's a ton of support from like the WT AMU Enterprise Center. Um, that was really integral to us um, as well as the AEDC there are a ton of opportunities for you to hone your business plan and get insight from people that are experts in lots of different industries that can really mentor you through the process of opening and running a business. It's really cool. This week's presenting sponsor is the WT Enterprise Center. For the past 15 years, the Enterprise Center has been helping local entrepreneurs create and grow their businesses. Amarillo is an amazing place to start a business and the Enterprise Center is at the heart of it. They've created a vibrant, collaborative ecosystem where startup and existing companies emerge and grow. Companies from Sage Oilvac and Altura Engineering Design to Blue Sage Pottery have been clients at one point or another, working with the Enterprise Center to take their businesses to the next level. 
So let's say you have a business idea, but you're not sure where to start. Or you have an existing business, but you're going through growing pains. You're overwhelmed by things like funding or marketing or your business model or HR. The experts at the Enterprise Center can help coach you through every step in the process. They can connect you to the right resources to grow your business. In fact, I believe so strongly in what they do that I serve as a volunteer mentor for Enterprise Center clients. You can learn more at WTEnterpriseCenter.com. Okay, I'm back with Roman Leal of Evocation Coffee. Roman, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. I'm going to ask you eight straight questions as my guest. You have to answer those questions in whatever degree of detail you want to. I'm so excited. Um, good, <laughs> good. So uh, here's here's the first one for you. Apart from Leal's, I, I want to take that off the table because <laughs> I know that gets really tricky. Um, but apart from your family restaurant, what's mm. your favorite restaurant in Amarillo? Yeah, it's just as tricky even with Leal's off the table, but... I would have to say that Indian Oven has been our favorite haunts. It's uh, over there off of Paramount now. And right. It's had multiple locations yes. over the past few years. And we've chased it through every single one of those locations, right. even when it was like way out on way I-40. Way out on the east. Yeah. yeah. They have just like some of the most consistently excellent food in town. Runner up has to be, it's a Punjabi affair. They're okay. both fantastic. And if you've noticed, I absolutely love Indian food. I was going to say, those are pretty <laughs> much the two great Indian food locations in yes. town. So. <laughs> Thinking of Indian oven, are you like a buffet guy or do you go yes. in places? Well, we're order? both for sure. We'll call in orders during dinner, um, but every single Saturday we we're there for that freaking buffet, man. Okay. It's just oh, so good. It is good. I, <laughs> I can agree with that wholeheartedly. What coffee-based drink should people be ordering more of? This one's also tough just because I don't like to be a prescriptive kind of coffee connoisseur, but I will say that I a drink that I'm surprised that people don't order more of probably just like the straight cappuccino. And I'm sure that a lot of other third wave guys would go to the same drink just because it's a super well-balanced milk to espresso drink. So it's typically like two to three parts milk to one part espresso. Um, and it's just, uh, the flavors are so harmonious. And if you want a nice little easy way to get into it, you can sweeten it up with some vanilla or caramel. And yeah, that's my go-to drink. Do you have like a preferred coffee or espresso bean, you know, yes. for a cappuccino? Yeah. What, um, what do you like best? Well, natural Ethiopian coffees come with this like wild strawberry or blueberry flavor. Um, and so that coupled with milk is like eating fruity pebbles or like fruit loops. And so, yeah, that is a delicious experience. And if you have the opportunity to experience that, that's, you should. <laughs> okay, cool. What's your favorite street in Amarillo? This one is going to be based on nostalgia more than anything, and that's Van Buren. Um, so that's where my wife and I lived when we first got married. Um, it's where I lived when I first moved out of my parents' okay. place. And so uh, we used to walk up and down that all the time. And what's cool about it is you go from residential districts to um, like the downtown churches and the parks that are around there as well. So yeah, it's that is an extremely nostalgic and uh, memory-inducing street for us. What, what neighborhood? Is it more like the Amarillo College neighborhood? Is yeah. it more north of I-40? or It's both parts. Okay. Um, definitely the north of I-40 is uh, what strikes them the most. That's right. my favorite part. But yeah, I mean, even down around Emerald College, that street's beautiful too. What does this area have too much of? I would say that 
there's too much of a endorsement of the pioneer myth. Um, that one's really weird, but no, I explain that. For me. I <laughs> want to hear more about that. So I think that Amarillo is really rooted in this, uh, kind of individualist mindset. Um, and you can see the pioneer mythology in so many aspects of our cultural inheritance, whether that's at the Panhandle Plains Museum or the Quarter Horse Museum. Um, you see uh, Charles Goodnight and Adair, uh, George Adair, as these pinnacles of people that went off on their own and did something that was entirely new. And what's often forgotten in those stories is the people that helps them out, um, the communities that they relied on, and uh, yeah, all the help that they got along the way. And so I think that that kind of championing of just the individualism without a perspective on how every success is built on a network of support around it can lead to a mentality that's not super healthy in the way that we relate to each other. And so, yeah, I am all for endorsing a more collective mindset around okay. Amarillo. I think that's important to think about because we, you know, we, we have that pull yourself up by your bootstraps philosophy. But I mean, just even with your business, I mean, you were able to start a business because you had clients at the very beginning yeah, and because you came from a family that pushed you toward entrepreneurism and because you had a relationship with a bank that would loan you money. I mean, there are all these yeah. different pieces that had to happen. It wasn't just you hustle and grit making it a hundred percent. Yeah, no, there were so many countless people around Amarillo that made every stage of our dream possible. And yeah, uh, I mean, while it's uh, mine and Amy's names, um, like behind evocation, like there is a vast network of people that made that dream possible. What does this area not have enough of? I would say this one, uh, is a, might be a little controversial, but I just think more of a representation of people of color in, Lots of parts of Amarillo in governments, um, school boards, and just positions of leadership um, all around the city. People of color make up a really big percentage of the city's population and also don't have that same level of representation in their governments True. or in other leadership positions. So I think that that's something we definitely need to address going forward as a city. Um, and I think that that's a problem for a lot of the country. As Amarillo grows, it's something that definitely needs to be worked on and improved. Is it, do you think, a problem of opportunity? Is it vision? I mean, what is keeping people of color from from taking those steps, you know, to seek public office, to to gain positions of power or influence? Yeah, it's hard to point to any single thing. I mean, it's uh, it's a lot of factors. In general, there is a lot of institutionalized racism that prevents people from even seeing these positions as attainable to right. them. Um, as a possibility at all. Yeah. And I mean, I think that there's a way in which Amarillo participates probably unwittingly, but in kind of a whitewashing of its history. And so I think that incorporating things like African-American literature and like Chicano Chicano literature into school curriculums and even just like events around town, um, celebrations of our cultural history outside of just like kind of the Anglo-Saxon pioneer myth mm -hmm. would be a really great way to start that. I love that idea. How do you describe Amarillo to people outside the area? So you're going to be <laughs> attending your university program mm -hmm. um, with a bunch of people not from this part of town, a bunch yep. of people that may not have heard of Amarillo in the first place. And so what are you going to tell them about where you come from? <laughs> 
Um, I mean, for me, Amarillo is quintessentially Texas. I know that a lot of other cities in Texas would also like to claim that, but I mean, it's, I said that it's not really a small town. It has small town vibes. Those small town vibes, I think manifest in the community aspects, like the neighborliness. Um, you can totally wave to somebody while you're driving down the street and it's not weird. Um, you can hold open the door for somebody and like they expect that too. I mean, it's, there is just a sense of community that's built on just like this politeness and neighborliness. That's really cool. Um, and yeah, you don't get that in the same way that you and Amarillo really anywhere else. Okay. When was the last time you went to Cadillac ranch? (laughs) I was probably in high school. The last time I went to Cadillac ranch. Yeah. All I remember is that the Cadillacs were painted pink for breast cancer awareness, but it's been a long time. I should probably, you can almost see it from Ascension high school. If you, yeah. On a clear day. (laughs) Okay. What's your favorite neighborhood in Amarillo? Um, so this one goes back to Van Buren and nostalgia, but it's Plymouth Equal okay. for sure. And just because it's got such a cool little mishmash of different people from different backgrounds and different mm-hmm. walks of life. Um, you have like these historic homes that are like historic landmarks. You also have apartments like the ones that Amy and I lived in when we first got married that are lower income. Um, and they're all like r- right next to each other. Right. And like you see all these people when you're go- going out on walks in the neighborhood, it's it's cool how you can become neighbors and friends with people uh, from, yeah, all these different walks of life in this tiny little community. Roman, that concludes the uh, the eight straight section. I like to end by asking my guests to endorse something related to the area. So what's one thing that you would like listeners to know about or to experience? I would say that the English Philosophy and Modern Languages Department at WTAMU is absolutely phenomenal. And I cannot endorse enough the events that they put on. Um, I talked a little bit about how I think that we need to have more cultural celebration Mm -hmm. of minority cultures. And they do a great job of that, as does Seesaw, um, the Center for the Study of the American West, um, which is affiliated with the Panhandle Plains Historical Museum. Both of those organizations, EPML and Seesaw, um, put on some really great events. They did uh, Forgotten Frontera last year, which was a great example of that. And just also other cultural events, which I think are amazing for Amarillo. Um, they're bringing Tim Siebels, who is the poet Lord Emeritus from Virginia to uh, do a talk here in Amarillo and read some poetry. It's just like amazing yeah, the kind right. of people that they're bringing in. So yeah, they definitely need a shout out. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, Roman Leal, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to Roman for the interview and to the Enterprise Center for the sponsorship. And I really hope you'll look at coming to the live show. Arts Fest is going to be such a cool weekend event. That entire event is free. Uh, Just my show is not. So I'm really thrilled about being part of it, and I hope you'll go grab those tickets. Go to Hey Amarillo on Facebook for ticket info. This show is produced, written, and hosted by me but it's edited every week by the great Angelina Medina. Executive producers of Hey Amarillo include Chris Elda, Josh Wood, Patrick Burns, Jennifer Callahan, Corey Burns, Daniel Davis, Wilson Lemieux, Katie Linger, Neil Nossiman, Ryan Pennington, and Wes Reeves. You can support the show too at patreon.com slash Thank you for listening. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>